Stand to your feet with me, if you will, please, and let's read God's Word together. Psalm 127. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. And except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. Now here's the heart of this. Lo, children are a heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb, speaking of children, is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, for they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. Now, turn also to the book of of Matthew, chapter number 19. Matthew 19, and beginning in verse 13, then were there brought unto him little children, that he should put his hands on them and pray. And the disciples rebuked them. And Jesus said, Suffer little children, and forbid them not to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them, and he departed thence. You may be seated. Thank you. I told you today that I would speak about parenting. And uh, when you announce a subject like that, many people have the idea, well, he's going to tell me a bunch of do's and don'ts and practical things that I can do with my child. And those certainly have their place. And uh, several times in the last two or three years, we've had John Roseman, who probably is the nation's authority to speak along those lines. Today, though, I want to talk to you about one part of parenting, and it is without doubt, far and away, the single most important role that you have as a parent. But I realize that everybody here, many people here today, you've already reared your children, or perhaps you don't have children yet, you're single or whatever, but I, all, I think there's something here for you because everything I'm going to say about children ultimately will apply to adults as well. And also many of you are grandparents. And I know as a grandparent, I am just as concerned about my grandchildren as I ever was about my own children. Now I heard people say things like that and I really didn't believe that when I was younger. But now that I have grandchildren, Believe me, I'm just as concerned for their well-being as I was for my own. The only difference is I'm glad to put them in the car and see them go back, you know, <laughs> give me a little respite. But uh, somebody said at Christmas time, the two most wonderful sights were the lights of the Christmas tree and the lights of the kids going home back to their, back to their abode. So uh, either way, it was the lights, huh? Now, the Bible here teaches in chapter 127 of the Psalms, a great, great chapter, really inexhaustible in the truth of it. It teaches us, first of all, the futility of not building your home on a spiritual foundation. Verse 1, except the Lord build the house, you labor in vain to try to build a family without him. It is absolutely futile to try to build a family and not build it on the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then it tells us 
the blessings of children. Look in verse three. It says that children are our heritage. They carry on our legacy, our family name. And then children are a reward in verse three, the very last word. The fruit of the womb is his reward. <laughs> now, sometimes you may think they're not much of a reward, that they're <laughs> something else, but the Bible says your children are a reward from the Lord to you, to your family. In verse four, it speaks of them as being security. In those days, they didn't have social security and safety nets and insurance policies. They had children. And the idea of a big family was, I'm gonna take care of them and then someday they're going to assist me in my older years. And so as arrows in the hand of a mighty man, his security was his bow and his arrow, so are children. And in those days, children represented economic security. And then in verse number five, it says, happy is the man that hath his quiver full, meaning children bring happiness to our families and to our lives. Recently, I read a scientific poll. Very rarely can I say about a poll that it is absolutely 100% accurate every time in every situation, but I can say that about this one. Here was the poll. If your parents didn't have kids, neither will you. <laughs> Took a lot of research on that one, didn't it? Your kids didn't have, if your parents didn't have kids, neither will you. Well, that's the light side of it. The heavy side of it is that we're concerned about the health of our children. We're concerned about the education for our children. We're concerned about getting them involved in activities. And in fact, many today argue that we have them far too involved in activities. We're concerned about those things, but are you parent concerned about their soul, because far, far, far and away, this is the most important thing. Oh, to perish the thought that I would rear a child and they would live in my home and that they would perish in eternity because they rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. So today I want to speak to you about how to reach your child for Christ, how to know absolutely for sure that your child is on their way to heaven. I began by reminding you that number one, children are lost from their birth. We have emphasized here this biblical worldview idea. And a vital part of the biblical worldview is this teaching on the fall of man, Genesis chapter three, that when sin came in, it changed absolutely everything. Sin got into the DNA of the human stream. And every single person inherited a sinful nature from their father, Adam, and their mother, Eve. Now, then the Bible teaches us then that every child is a lost child. Look at those pictures on the screen. That little baby lying there on the left-hand side, so peaceful. And that little wide-eyed, cute, sweet little old baby there, 
you're telling me, preacher, those little children are lost? I'm telling you that's what the Bible teaches. If you believe the Bible, you have to accept that as well. The book of Psalms, chapter 51 and verse 5, David said, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me, meaning from my very conception, I have sin in my, as I've said, in my DNA. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 22 and verse number 15, foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. That's your child. Don't make an exception. The Bible doesn't make an exception. That's my children, Tory, Temple, and Tara. The foolishness of sin was bound in their in their very being, in their heart. And I flip a couple more chapters to Proverbs 24 and verse 9, and it says that the very thought of foolishness is sin, because the word foolishness there has the idea of rebellion and frivolousness about uh, godly things. Now, when I tell people, though, this, that their children are lost, that every child is lost outside of Christ. Every person is lost outside of Christ. I often have someone come to me after the service, and especially if they've lost a little baby in infancy, and they're very concerned because they say, my child passed away, and you just told me that all children are lost from the date of their birth. They were conceived even. From their conception, they are lost. Well, I've got good news for you. Now, I hear people say that children until they're the age of accountability are saved. That's not good terminology. That, that, that tends to be a little misleading. The word is safe. Children are safe when they die in infancy. And there's a wonderful passage of Scripture found in 2 Samuel chapter 12, In 2 Samuel 12, David has sinned that horrible sin of adultery with Bathsheba. He's tried to cover it up. He's conspired to kill her husband. And now God has said to him later, he said, the baby that she is carrying, I'm going to take that child as a chastisement for your sin. And the child is born. And then a few days later, the child passes away. The Lord takes the child. David gets down on his knees, confessing his sin, and he's praying in 2 Samuel 12 and 23. And here's what he says. Now he is dead. It was a little boy. Now he is dead. Can I bring him back? And the answer is unequivocally, no, you'll never bring him back, David. And then he states, I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. And to the parent of the child who died in infancy, you can go to him. He is safe in the arms of Jesus, but he can't come back to you. And so you make provision for yourself. You see, the reason for that is that children are under what we say grace. They're under God's grace until the, and we use the term, the age of accountability. Now, the age of accountability is not a Bible term. You won't find those words anywhere in your scripture. But the age of accountability is the point in a child's life where they they have a knowledge of sin. 
they understand that they need salvation. They understand clearly that their sin is separating them from God and they can never have a relationship with God as long as their sin stands between them and the Lord. And secondly, they're at the point in their life where they can understand God's grace. They can understand the gospel. They can comprehend the purpose of the gospel and the relevance of the gospel. What is the age of the age of accountability? I believe it differs probably with every child. I think it's a developmental state in a child's life. Just like some children can read well at five years old, other children can't read very well, but suddenly at seven, pop, it just comes, it just happens for them. It's developmental in since every child develops at a different rate, then the age of accountability is different for each child. But here's a warning for you parents, and I've been wanting to say this to you for some time, and I just haven't, it hasn't been a part of, of, of what I was preaching, but it's something I've observed, and I've increasingly observed it in the last few years right here in our church. So if you're a parent, especially a parent of a young child, please hear me today. I'm trying to help you. And it's this, my warning is, do not rest upon the fact that your child made a decision at five or six or seven or eight years of age. You see, this is not something you check off. This is not a part of your bucket list. Ah, now my kids are saved because a little child makes a profession of faith in Christ. Don't rest on that. I'm happy when a child makes a profession of faith. But first of all, Many of them make a profession of faith and they may not have even come to the age of accountability where they clearly understand the consequences of their sin, nor do they understand the relevance and the application of the gospel. They simply have said, yes, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Children's workers in many cases have not done us a favor in the way they have taught children about salvation. And we try to really hone up, uh, uh, hone this in our own work with our children's workers. Because uh, years and years ago, we had a, when we had a big bus ministry and we had a children's church back over there in the gym. And a man joined the church here and he said, I've got a burden to work with children and I want to work with the children. And so we checked him out and after a few months, we, he, he went over there and joined the team of people who were working in the children's ministry. Well, the, it was his Sunday to speak to the children. And this man came after the service and he was so excited. This man said to me, Pastor, I saw a miracle today. Boy, God used me. He said, 50 children raised their hand to receive Christ. I guess I didn't show as much enthusiasm as he thought I should. But see, here's what I know about children. I know I could go over there the next week and preach the gospel and word the invitation in such a manner that the same 50 kids would raise their hand again. And after two or three times that happening, talk about mass confusion in the minds of a child. Because children want to please us. And they especially want to please their parents. They want to please their pastor. I could get a decision out of them every time I spoke to them. You know that. And it can be done by anybody that they love and admire. 
And so I said, kids, do you know that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and that he will save you if you pray the prayer? Okay, how many of you want to do that? Everybody raises their hand. Okay, let's all pray the prayer. And they all pray the prayer with me. And then I go out and report that all those children have been saved. Oh, no, 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 no. See, I don't even understand where those children are in terms of the age of accountability. Have they even all reached it yet? And do they understand that they're truly in need of the Savior? Do they truly understand the relevance and how Christ died on the cross, what that had to do with them? So don't you just check it off. Hey, Johnny's saved because he prayed a prayer in children's church or in Sunday school or in Christian school or here at the house with me. Don't you rest because your child made a decision when they were five or six or seven or eight. Are they saved? They might be. They might be saved, but they might not be saved. And so you want to be wise in the way that you view that. Remember that they're lost from birth. Remember that you can't rest and assume they understand more than they really do. And you should remember that everyone, including your children and mine, they must be born again. There are no exceptions. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Number two today, one was children are lost from birth. Point number two is that children can come to Christ. Children can come to Christ. I strongly believe in childhood salvation but I want to explain it to where we understand it from a biblical standpoint. In Matthew chapter 19 and verse 14, Jesus said those famous words, suffer the little children to come to me. That's King James English, that's old English. What does suffer mean? It doesn't have the idea of pain and suffering. It's not talking about that. The use of the word then was permit the little children to come to me. Allow the little children to come to me. Even more positively, encourage little children to come to me. And on that day, he'd been talking to his disciples, and I see our blessed Lord sitting down, and little children, in fact, in Luke it says, infants were coming to him, and he was holding them in his arms. And there, the creator of the universe was loving those little children as they sat on his lap that day and as they talked to him. And he said, encourage little children to come to me. Suffer the little children and forbid them not. For those of you who don't believe that children can really be saved, don't forbid people to come, don't forbid them to come to Christ. Never say to your child, oh honey, you don't understand, you're not old enough. Don't do anything like that. Find a better way to say those words. But we know that children can be saved. Southern Nazarene University out in Oklahoma did a survey just two or three years ago. This was very relevant or very uh, up-to-date survey. And in this sample group of several thousand people that they went to who were Christians, uh, conservative Bible-believing people, they found, they asked the age at which you were converted in their survey, the age at which you were converted, 85% of the people in the survey said, I came to Christ between the ages of four and 14. 
85%. That means only 15% of the people are saved after the age of 15. Now, should that tell us where to put the emphasis in our outreach and our evangelism efforts? You put any businessman will put his money, his time, his resources where he's going to get the greatest return on his investment, won't he? So where should the church put her investment dollars, her time, her energies, her prayers, her resources? 85% of the people said in adulthood, these are adults, 85% of them said, I was saved between four and 14. How many people in this audience were saved between four and 14? Hold up your hand right now. Look that, look there. Point made. They went on in the survey, and they also found out that from 15 to 30, the remaining 10%, 10% of the people were, say, between 15 and 30 years of age. Now, that puts us up to 95% of all conversions are before 30. And only 5% of the people, 4 point something percent of the people, are saved after 30 years of age. If you have been saved post 30, you ought to especially get down on your knees and thank the Lord. It's not happening to very many people, 5% of the Christians in America, according to the survey. So children are lost from birth. But Jesus said, encourage the little children to come to me. Now, look at our ministry here at Florence Baptist Temple, and, and I think we're doing that. Sunday school, Florence Christian School, FBT Sports, Bible Zone coming up in a week or two. I don't know of any real solid programs that are occurring in churches anywhere for children that we don't have either that program or something, something similar to it. And so our ministry here is heavily focused upon children as it should be because that's when people are going to come to Christ. So children are lost from birth, point one. Point two, children can come to Christ. In fact, we ought to encourage children to come to Christ. And the way we encourage that is just constantly teaching them and helping them to come to the point that when they come to that age of accountability, they understand what they're doing and they're ready to make the decision for Christ. Their hearts have been opened to him. Point three, what must happen for a child to come to Christ? What is the irreducible minimums? What is the least a person can believe and truly be saved and be born again? There are three things, and you may want to write them down because they also are true of adults as well as children. First, for a person to come to salvation, a child to come to salvation, there must be a knowledge of sin. There must be a knowledge and understanding of sin. I can't be saved until I understand that I have sinned. And so almost all plans of salvation for a good reason start out by 
quoting Romans chapter three, verse 10, all that there is none righteous, no, not one. Romans three twenty three. all have sinned and come short of the glory of God because the Bible makes the point that we're all, we've all sinned. But when I use the term a knowledge of sin, that's a Bible term. It's in the book of Romans chapter three and verse number 20. Romans 3 and 20 says that the purpose of the law is to bring about a knowledge of sin. Now, if you have a little child, let me tell you how you teach them this thing of the knowledge of sin and help them to truly grasp it. You teach them the Ten Commandments. You see, the purpose of the law, the purpose of the Ten Commandments is not to teach your child so they can keep them because they can't keep them. They will absolutely break them. It's not within any human being's power to keep the Ten Commandments. We don't teach them the Ten Commandments thinking that somehow they're going to live this perfect moral life. They are not. They're incapable of that. We teach them the Ten Commandments because we say to them, this is God's standard. This is the character of God in Ten Principles right here. And we teach them that, and they are going to find out that they cannot live up to God's standard. They are going to discover that they truly are unsaved, that sin dwelleth within them, and that as much as they try, they cannot live up to a perfect standard that God has given for us. They must understand the penalty of sin, that there, are con- there is consequences for sin. Don't be ashamed or afraid to talk to them, at least after a certain age, that there is a place called hell, and they don't want to go there. I think that through my youth, my older childhood, and my teenage years, I didn't think near as much about pleasing the Lord and loving the Lord and all that as I did about I don't want to go to hell. And there were times when temptation was very, very, very strong. And you know what the restraining force in my life was? It wasn't my love for Christ and appreciation for him, though it should have been. I emphasize that. But the thing that restrained me from getting into things I should not was I really did believe that God was keeping record and that there might be a possibility I would miss heaven, that I wasn't truly saved if I indulged in some of the things that I was tempted to do. And so, first, there must be an understanding, a knowledge of sin, Romans 3.20. You see, until a person understands their need, the gospel's meaningless. You can give people the gospel all day long and tell them how God loved them and Christ died for their sins. It absolutely means nothing if they're self-righteous. If they if they don't see themselves as genuinely needing what Jesus did for them on the cross, it just rolls off of them like water off the duck's back. That's one of the problems in South Carolina. See, we've ironed and starched a bunch of people, but they didn't get clean. They, nobody really told them the magnitude of their sins and made them feel their sin. There was not a lot of conviction. Somebody just stood up and said, don't you want to trust Jesus as your Savior? They prayed a little prayer and didn't. It it meant virtually nothing to them. 
I've had so many people tell me that. I did that one time, preacher, when I was a child, but I didn't even understand what I was doing. And all my life, I've had doubt and I've questioned it. Emphasize to your child in the right way. I'm not talking about putting some kind of dread and fear about God in them, but they need to understand that they need the Lord Jesus Christ, that they're absolutely helpless to save themselves. Point one. Point two, they must understand the gospel. There must be a genuine understanding of the gospel of Christ. When I say understanding, and I mean the implications of it. Let me give you an illustration. I'm in the swimming pool. Maybe it's in your back yard or at somebody else's and we're gathered around and I'm in the swimming pool and I've got me one of those big floats and I'm lying out there and I got me a lemonade and a book in my hand and my sunglasses on and I'm just laying up there having a wonderful relaxing time and suddenly you jump into the pool and grab me and start pulling me to the edge and say I'm rescuing you you know what I'm going to do I'd say, are you crazy? Have you lost your mind? I don't need rescuing. Man, I'm relaxing. I'm having a great time. Here you got my book wet. You spilled my lemonade. Man, you've lost your brain. I'm going to be mega upset with you, am I not? Because I didn't connect the rescue with my need. In fact, I didn't see it. You blindsided me. But another scenario, I'm over here in the river and I fall out of the boat and the current is swift. And for whatever reason, I'm going down and I can't, I can't save myself. And someone jumps in and they come and they rescue me. They get me back to the bank or they get me to the boat. Now the rest of my life, I'm in your gratitude. The rest of my life, if I see you walking down the street, I may say to somebody, he saved my life. I'll never forget it because I connected my danger with the rescue. Now, until a person, a child, or you, an adult, whomever, until a person says, you know what? I'm helpless. I can't do a thing. I'm going down. I'm sinking in my sin. I cannot live a life to please the Lord. And then he hears the gospel that Jesus loves him and that Jesus came and jumped into this planet and went to the cross and died for our sins. And now God can forgive me of my sins and give me his eternal life. Now, the cross has become very, very relevant and very, very important, very, very practical. It makes sense to me, doesn't it? What must a child, what must happen for a child to come to salvation? Number one, there must be a knowledge of sin. Number two, there must be an understanding of the gospel and its relevance, how the gospel, the purpose of the gospel is to rescue us from perishing. And thirdly, there must be the work of the Holy Spirit. Turn to John chapter 6 and verse number 44 in your Bible. This is so often left out in 
Baptist circles, and it should not be. But uh, we emphasize giving the gospel to people and and getting them to, to pray to receive Christ as their Savior. But there's another part. There's a heavenly part. There's a divine part to salvation, and you, you don't ever miss it. And Jesus talks about it in John chapter 6 and verse 44. No man can come to me. Notice the can, the inability to come to him, except the Father which hath sent me draw him. And so there is the human side of salvation, there's the divine side of salvation. In other words, there must be a work of the Holy Spirit in a person's life, and that includes a child. First, there must be a knowledge of sin. Second, there must be an understanding of the gospel and its relevance, why Christ died for me and what was necessary for him to die. And then there must be the work of the Holy Spirit. See, don't ever forget this. Salvation is a miracle happening in a person's life. And you don't gin up a miracle. You don't decide today, I think I'll have a miracle. Salvation is God coming down and working. And as I've told you many times, God comes to the human heart through his Holy Spirit And God regenerates the spirit of the person when they hear the gospel and they receive Christ as their Savior. And so salvation is a miracle. When Jesus said to Nicodemus, he said in John 3, 3, Nicodemus, you must be born again. What does that word born again mean? In the original words, it was you must be regenerated. What is regeneration? Regeneration is where a new life is infused into somebody. We, we, we have a bad injury on my leg here, and the flesh is torn and cut away. And then the doctor says, but it's going to regenerate. It's going to grow back. It's going to heal. Life is going to be there once again. And regeneration is the idea that The sinner understands that he is lost. The child understands the gravity, the magnitude of sin and their need for Christ. And then they hear the gospel. And then when they truly put their faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and the Holy Spirit brings life to their soul. Pastor, can that happen to a child? Oh, it happened to me. It happened to my daughter sitting back here and the one sitting in the choir. It happened to so many of you. The Southern Baptist Convention commissioned a study a number of years ago now, 20, 25 years ago, and they wrote to every missionary and every pastor and said, tell me the age when you came to a saving knowledge of Christ, when you really did the the, the time you date your salvation from. And they took all the missionaries, thousands of them, and all the preachers, thousands of them, Do you know what the ages were? The average age of conversion of Southern Baptist preachers was nine. The average age of conversion of Southern Baptist missionaries at that time, eight. The average age of all the ministry force of the SBC was eight and nine years old. Can children be saved? Absolutely they can be saved. Suffer them to come. 
But don't trivialize it. Don't just say, this is my bucket list. Just check it off. I got that one done. Now my kids have made a profession of faith. You don't want a profession of faith. You want a conversion. You see the difference? Now a word to the parents real quick. This is your most solemn and important responsibility, parent and grandparent. And, it, and for this to really occur, you must instruct them constantly. You must read the scripture with them. Buy good books like this book, The Lamb, the greatest book I've ever read to help little children understand the plan of salvation. The Lamb, we can get it for you back here. Read to them, pray with them every day. And dad, heaven help you. Don't sit in that recliner and watching the news or the ball game and let your wife go and pray with the kids every night. You're the spiritual leader. You go and pray with the kids and mama every night. Please hear me. You must instruct them. Read to them scripture and good books. Pray with them and pray for them every day of your life. And then when the child makes a profession, as they will if you keep them here, but don't rest. Don't just check it off. A profession is the beginning, it's the foundation, it's the start, it's not the ending. We have a policy here, we baptize children, we don't baptize children until they're 10. And we don't like to just automatically baptize them the day they turn 10 either because we don't want them to think in those terms. Why do we wait until they're 10? I have parents sometimes come, they got a seven-year-old. In the early days of my ministry, I baptized little kids. I, I promise you, I baptized kids. They had to hold their head back like that. And, or they couldn't, the, the baptistry water be over their head. I want to take a soda straw and stick in their mouth and say, Eric, you can give you a little relief, kid. No, you don't want a bad, we don't believe in infant baptism. Why are you in a hurry to get them in the baptistry? You instruct them and pray with them, and pray for them, and love them, and lead them, and keep on. And they say, Mama, I'm saved. You say, that's good, honey. But you keep on instructing, and you keep on praying, and don't you ever quit. And when they're 40-some, like mine are, you keep doing it still. Because it's my most solemn responsibility in the world to get my children to heaven and get them into eternity on the right side. Don't seek a decision. Seek a conversion. We hear all these gloomy statistics today. It makes the parents I know want to just give up about the young people, the college-age students that renounce their faith and are turning away. And I'm so burdened about that. But I wonder... Did they ever really have it or did they just make some decision based on what their parents were pushing them to do? Don't do that. Let them come to Christ and, and he wants to save them. And the last word to parents is this. Parents, don't panic. Let me tell you the best news you could ever hear. God loves your child and wants them to be saved more than you ever will. 
And in the book of 2 Peter 3 and 9, it is not his will that any should perish. That's my child, isn't it? But that all should come to repentance. 1 Timothy 2 and 4, who will have all men and all children to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And so don't panic. God is more interested in the salvation of your child than you are. And if you will sow the seed and just keep on sowing the seed and sowing the seed and sowing the seed, one day you'll see evidence of plenty that your child knows and loves the Lord Jesus. Now, what did I say a while ago? Everything I've said about children is true about adults. You see, what does an adult need to do to be saved? They've got to come to the knowledge of sin that I'm absolutely lost and helpless and that the, I have no hope on my own. And secondly, that Jesus came and he died on the cross and that the blood of Jesus Christ is what saves me, not anything that I do. And thirdly, the Holy Spirit will work in my heart. And when I surrender to him, and put all of my trust and confidence in what Jesus did for me, the miracle of the new birth will happen. Not something, some explosion I will feel emotionally, but just that quiet confidence and peace that God will keep his promises. What he has told me he will do, he will do, and I'm counting on that. Our heads are bowed.